Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue our journey through Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Impudent prayer. So I want to invite you to use your imagination with me for for a few moments here. Picture the neighborhood that you live in. I don't know if it looks at all like this, but that's probably West Texas, a little bit more than East Texas or wherever, not too many trees there. But Imagine that you want to have a block party in your neighborhood to, to kind of help everybody build some friendships and relationships and so on. And so um, imagine that, and you don't know everybody on the block, and so imagine that you're walking up to the door of one of your neighbors to invite them. And these are people that, that you've seen in the neighborhood. Um, when, you, when you drive by and they're out in their yard, you know, you wave at them, but you've never really talked to them. You've never met them. You don't know their name. And uh, it's, it's nine o'clock in the evening and the blinds in the house are drawn and, and you don't really see any light coming through. And so you're not sure whether anyone is awake or not at this moment in time. You don't know if these people are interested in being invited to a social event. Um, you might even have a good chance of waking them up. How do you feel in that moment? What's going through your head in that moment? Are you uncertain about what to do? Maybe you're asking yourself, well, you know, sh- should I try to contact them? Um, I don't know, should I, should I knock lightly on the door? It's kind of dark. Should, should I ring the doorbell? Um, Am I going to disturb them? Is it going to bother them? Maybe I should just leave the little flyer I have with the information. Maybe I should just leave it there and kind of sneak away. And Now imagine a different situation. You have some friends that you're super close to, but life's paths have, have kind of taken you guys apart, and so you haven't been around each other for a long time. You haven't seen each other for ages, but you talk on the phone all the time, and, and so um, you, you just, you know, you've got that great connection. You're talking all the time, and you've assured each other that if you're ever passing through the other's town, no matter what time it is, you have to stop in, and you have to come and see us and say hi. And so, so you happen to be traveling through their, t- get, you know, you're on your way, you're going to be traveling through their town, and so you send them a, a text message saying, hey, we're going to be passing through, and, and we're going to stop in and see you, and you get an excited reply, and you're on your way, and then you have car trouble, and you get delayed by the car trouble, and now it's close to midnight when you arrive, and you pull up, and you stop outside their house, and you see a light on by the door, and uh, you, you, you get there, and, and, and the light's still on, and you walk up to the door. Imagine how you feel. Do you feel pretty confident about knocking or ringing the doorbell at that time? I, I mean, you, you go up, of course. You said, hey, it's an open welcome. You've got that connection. You know their heart. And, and, and so you go up and you knock on the door and nobody seems to hear. So what happens? What, 
No, no problem at all. You keep knocking, you start ringing the doorbell uh, 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 without a worry about what's going to happen. Why? Because you know the welcoming heart that's on the other side of that door. Father in heaven, as we get into your word together this morning, this afternoon, please come near to us. Lord, I am nothing. I have nothing to offer. But you are the giver of the bread of life. You've given it to us in your word, and so I pray that you will just touch us in a special way through your word this morning as we look at the story of Jesus. In his name I ask it. Amen. Amen. We're, we're continuing our series today on the game-changing stories that, that Jesus told. And today I'm, I'm just convinced that Jesus wants to change the way we view God and approaching Him in prayer. We don't understand our life with God if we come to Him like we did to the door of that neighbor in the first example. Hesitant, uncertain, not sure, reluctant. Today, Jesus challenges us to come to prayer in a new way. Uh, and I'm going to use a word here. He's challenging us to come with reverent impudence. Now you may be a little uncomfortable with that word because you, you know what it means, impudence, a little disrespect and you know, a little, a little brashness and a little whatever, a little attitude. But, but stay with me and let's, let's get into God's Word together. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11 with me. Um, when, when you look at Luke chapter 11, you see that the context that Jesus tells this story in is right after the disciples have said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we find the, the second repetition in the Gospels of the Lord's Prayer. And then in that context of wanting his disciples to know how he wants them to pray, Jesus tells this story. Now, before we read it, I want to remind you of what a game changer is. Do you remember what the definition of game changer is? It's a person or idea that causes a radical shift in the manner of thinking about or doing something. And Jesus wants to make a radical change in how we approach God in prayer. Luke 11, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will say from within, and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Now I'm going to stop there for a few moments as we look at this a little more. The first big takeaway as we come into this prayer, uh, this, this, this story on prayer that, that I want to share with you from these verses is this, if you're following along in your notes. We face needs we can't supply. If you've lived life very long, you've figured out that there are needs that you may have or that someone else may have that they come to you and there are needs that you have absolutely no capacity to meet. And it's a helpless feeling. Sometimes it's a scary feeling. 
But that's what we see here in this story is that we face needs that we can't supply. And, and Jesus begins his teaching on prayer with an experience to meet uh, the common needs of everyone. And it's very interesting that how he starts the story, he gives them an example that was common to everyone's life there in the Middle East that they live. A traveling friend stopping in at your house. Now, to get the significance of this, we have to understand the context of Middle Eastern hospitality. In the ancient Near East, and even to this day, there are two supreme values that drive everything. Honor and shame. To bring honor to your family or to yourself is the highest thing. That, that's like the supreme value that trumps everything else. And conversely, to bring shame upon yourself or upon your family or, or someone else is the very worst thing. It's, it's the thing that you'd rather die than do. Honor and shame. Now, you have to understand that, that in that context, to provide hospitality in, in the harsh Middle Eastern lands where there's heat and, and not much water and food's hard to come by sometimes, to provide hospitality to friend or stranger alike in the form of food and water and shelter was not just being polite. It was not just something you kind of do with, with your friends or, or people you know or whatever. It was a matter of honor. It was a matter of honor. It was considered a sacred duty. To not do so was to bring everlasting shame upon you and your family. To, and, and so therefore, in that context, to not provide hospitality never happened. It was impossible. And so when Jesus begins his story by saying that this friend showed up at a man's house and the host had nothing to put in front of him, do you know what happened? A gasp went through the crowd that was listening. They were like blown away. They could not even begin to conceive of that. They were shocked at such an unthinkable thing. And then... Furthermore, when the man went and asked his friend for help and the friend wouldn't help him, it was another shocker. I mean, if they hadn't been knocked over before, they were knocked down now because they could not even begin to conceive of that because you always helped a friend in need to avoid, you helped a friend avoid shame at all costs. It was impossible to behave that way in their culture. Now, I want you to remember that because that's the framework that people would have had as they're listening to this. Jesus tells us and they're like, no way, no way. That is just impossible. That would never, ever happen. Now, by the way, the fact that it's midnight, it's irrelevant, completely irrelevant because it didn't matter when it was, you took care of it. However, that does teach us a lesson and, and uh, give us here some observations. The first thing is that it teaches us that needs arise at unwelcome times. Have you ever noticed that? Crises happen, right? Emergencies happen just at the most inopportune time. Midnight is not a convenient time to be awakened and asked to provide for someone. But dear friends, I believe that we all need to be okay 
with being interrupted in our lives by the needs of others at any or all times. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, we need to be okay with being interrupted. You know, needs don't schedule themselves conveniently. It's not like, okay, if you're going to have a need Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock, that, that'd be a great time. You can have your need then, I'll be there for you. Right? That's not how it works. If we really care, we're going to help in that need whenever. And we're going to be okay with being interrupted and kind of pushed out of our comfort zone in that situation. Now, second of all, when the friend shows up, the Bible says that the host had what? Nothing to set before him. In other words, when the need arises, we are often inadequate to meet that need. Another lesson I think that's good for us to understand is that we are insufficient of ourselves. I don't know about you, but in dealing with people's spiritual needs and, and trying to help them get through their challenges and, and connect with Jesus in their life in a meaningful way and, and build that relationship with them, I feel inadequate all the time. I have no, confession time for pastor. I have nothing to set before them. And I realize my own lack. I mean, I, I hate to disappoint you. I hate to kind of knock myself off whatever silly pedestal you put the pastors up on. Because we have clay feet just like everybody else, you know. But I have nothing to set before them. And I realize my lack. And the good thing with that is, you know what it does? It drives me to, to my friend. <laughs> my friend Jesus, right? Drives me to my friend Jesus who can supply both my lack and the lack of the person who's there before me. The person who's come to me. Jesus is sufficient. And, and we need to understand that we're inadequate, but there is a friend who is not inadequate. Third of all, I want you to notice that the friend said in response, don't bother me, it's late, I can't get up, you know, my kids are... And you can kind of understand because in, in that culture, again, most of the people were living in, in, a, in a single room dwelling. You know, they didn't have bedrooms and kitchens and living rooms and all those things. It was just one room. And they had a place over in one corner where there was a mat and the whole family lay down together and, and went to sleep. And you understand that... that you know, they didn't really stay up that late. There was a little bit of candlelight, but when the sun went down, that was pretty much bedtime for everybody. And so, so they're, they've all been sound asleep for, for several hours by this point in time. And, 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 and probably the animals have been brought inside to keep them safe. That's often what they did in the culture too. And it was not an easy thing to unlock the door because doors didn't have nice little keys and bolts like they do. This was a big deal to kind of make your house secure for the night. So you can understand the inconvenience and the, and the neighbor says, you know, don't bother me. It's, I, you know, it's not, not good. So the lesson that we get or the observation I want to make is we often encounter resistance. When we're trying to meet a need, often that we run into obstacles and there are discouragements and, and there are setbacks that we face and, and, and maybe people don't, don't seem to really care or they don't seem to really want to help or support us. And, and you may wonder, well, well, if God is a loving God and God can supply, why is it like that? Well, this quote that I want to share with you may help understand 
maybe a little bit, a little piece of, of what's going on sometimes with that resistance. And by the way, if you want a good read, an extra little insight um, on, on this story, get the book Christ's Optic Lessons. Read the chapter called Asking to Give. It's really a great read, and I'll just you know flesh, flesh this out. But here's the quote I want to share with you. Look at what it says. Prayer is not to work any change in God. See, this is not about God. It is to bring us into harmony with God. When we make request of Him, He may see that it is necessary for us to search our hearts and repent of sin. Therefore, He takes us through test and trial. He brings us through humiliation that we may see what hinders the working of His Holy Spirit through us. You see, what's going on in this story that we got to grasp is this is really not about God at all. It's really about us and changing us and purifying our hearts and our motives. We, uh, you see, here's what I've learned about myself as I've looked at life. We often think that we need things that we really don't need. And many times, the things that we think we need that we really don't need would be harmful to us if God gave them to us anyway. You know? And then on the other side of that, too often, we think that we don't need things that we really do need. And, and we may not even be aware of what our greatest needs and our genuine needs really are. And so we're just kind of, you know, just kind of confused. We're just kind of all messed up. And so the true purpose of prayer is not to make a change in God. It's not to persuade God to our way of thinking, but rather the true purpose of prayer is to make a change in us and our lives and our wills and to bring them into harmony with God's abundant and wonderful loving plan for our lives. You see, don't think of God as the unwilling friend because He's really quite the opposite. Remember that as Jesus told that to the people, said that's how the friend responded, they would have said, no way, that's impossible. No friend would ever do that. So they just right away knew, no, that, that's not. The, and so Jesus is emphasizing, God is just the opposite. In that culture of hospitality, people would know that the friend would never, ever respond like that, but rather be quick to help. And we can be assured that that's the way God is too, that that is God's heart. Not grudging but quick and anxious to help and respond to you and to me when we come to Him for help with needs. Now I want to continue on in, in verse 8 here and continue with the story. The Bible goes on to say, I say to you, though He will not rise and give Him because He is His friend, yet because of His persistence, He will rise and give Him as many as He needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What's the main point? The main point is that persistence is rewarded. Persistence pays off. And again, this is not about God, remember. This is about us. Too often we give up too easily. We get discouraged too quickly. We lose interest too readily. When we don't see results right away, because you know, I mean, I've been guilty of this, i got to admit. You know, you, you drive up to fast food and you order 
And, and you know, the expectation is after you get to the order and you pull up to the window and pay, they're going to have the, the food ready to hand out through you. And I got to be honest, man, I've been to Taco Bell a time or two and get to the window and, and make the order. And of course, my family likes to be creative, you know. And, and, and so it can't come the way it's on the menu, right? It's got to be without the taco shell because we're gluten-free. Or it's got to be without the cheese because we're... You know, whatever. And, so we, and, 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 and yet, I finish all this special custom design order, and I pull up to the window, and when I have to sit and wait, I'm like, get it together, you know? What's wrong with you guys? You're fast food. I, I think I should get a refund because you didn't perform, you know? So, so this is this is where we come from, and so we we you know we just don't understand this thing about patience and persistence or whatever the thing might be, and, and we get discouraged too quickly. And when nothing seems to be happening in answer to the prayers we're praying, the devil has a million distractions to pull our interest away into something else. But Jesus wants us to know that it's the person who presses on with dogged persistence who is rewarded in the end. When it says ask and seek and knock in verse 9, the Greek, Greek verb there means to keep on. It's not something you do once and quit. Everybody that, that, that read this, as, as the New Testament was written, they would know it's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, don't stop. When it seems like your prayers aren't getting answered, don't stop. When, when you feel like it's useless and things are getting worse, don't stop. Keep on. When the devil's telling you to forget it, don't stop. What did I just say? Don't stop. That's what it's trying to get us through. We have to persist, not to persuade God, but because we are stubborn and I've got a thick head. God has to labor long and hard to get through to me, unfortunately. And probably that never happens with you though, right? You're just like, God, God, good to go here, right? You know, it takes a while. It takes a lot of time to change and to get us right. Kind of funny, isn't it here? We end up being our own obstacle. Isn't that the craziest thing? We're our own obstacle. And God is just trying to deliver us from ourselves. Now, there are some other great insights in these verses that I want to share with you. The Greek word that's translated persistence, anideon, that's the Greek word, anideon, translated persistence, it's very interesting. First of all, it means that we should be shameless in our asking. In other words, we shouldn't be embarrassed to ask for anything. We, we, we should be unabashed. In fact, we should actually be a bit brazen in, in our requests, and we should never think that anything is too small or beneath God or too insignificant for Him. Be shameless in our asking. Second of all, it also means that we should be bold in our asking. Not hesitant, not timid, not like, oh, I wonder. no, it's like we should be audacious. That's, that's the idea with the Greek word here. And, and kind of nervy. It's, it's kind of like almost, it's that impudent thing going on, you know, kind of like, huh, you know, get, and, and so here's what I want to try to help us understand. Jesus wants us to have a reverent impudence 
in prayer. The people, you see, thought that prayer was what they'd seen the Pharisees doing over on the street corners, you know, where it was this showy, pompous recitation of one's righteous accomplishments to impress an impersonal deity and actually everybody else that was listening because they prayed out loud. That's what the people had seen of prayer. But, but people, Jesus wanted to change the game. He's like, no, this, that's radical. I, I got to make a radical change. He wanted them to get the prayer, what it's really like. It's like coming to your very best friend with an urgent cry for help and knowing that they will do everything in their power to meet that need. And so that you're bold and you're unapologetic when you come and you ask them for whatever it is. You don't mind. It's kind of like, my wife probably um, was a little more uncomfortable with this, but I was fine with it. A couple months ago, some, some dear friends back in Tennessee wanted us to come and, and uh, dedicate their baby girl. It was the story of their two children. It's kind of a miracle what God did for them. But anyway, um, and so when they had uh, reached out to us, first of all, to get it on our calendar eight months earlier, as soon as she was born, they'd already scheduled this thing. The, the wife had texted and said, well, we're going to have our house finished and we want you to stay with us. And so, great, we're looking forward to it. And so we're, we're planning, planning this out and it's like two days before we're going to leave and, and I just all this, and oh, and I was talking to the husband and he said, so um, where do you want to stay? Do I need to get a hotel for you or what? And I'm like, well, um, your wife told us that your house was going to be done and we were going to stay with you. Uh, He's like, oh, I, I didn't know anything about that. Our house is not done. Uh, let, me, let me check with her. And so, so of course, here we are. And, and, and to put the family up for the weekend, a hotel, we a lot of extra costs and whatever. And what are we going to do? And so, so, I, I, and so I, I said to him, well, you know, let, let me see what I can figure out. And you think about it too and whatever, we'll get back. So, so what I did was I texted a friend out there and I invited ourselves to his house. <laughs> Why? Because I know this friend. And I know he's got a great heart. And I know he, he loves to be a blessing. And, and so I didn't mind saying, hey, we don't have a place to stay. Can we stay with you? And guess what? He graciously checked with his wife first. <laughs> And then texted me back and said, yeah, great. We're here this weekend. Come on, you guys would love to have you. And so we did. We had a wonderful place to stay. And better yet, it was out on right, right by a lake. And he's got a boathouse. And so he took us water skiing and stuff when we got there. Oh, it was, it was rough, you know. But, but, but this is what God wants us to know. This is who God is. You can, you can come to him boldly and unapologetically. You don't feel any shame. He wanted them to realize, Jesus did, that God was very personal and very solicitous towards each one of them and that they could come boldly and shamelessly to him with their needs. And that's what God wants you to know today here too. That's how God wants you to understand how much he cares about you and the kind of friendship he has towards you. Don't be apologetic. Don't be hesitant. Come boldly. Come shamelessly.
The good news is that when we do that, we will find the provision is more than enough. The friend gave the man in the story, if you go back to, to verse, you know, verse 9, no, yeah, verse 9, no, verse 8. The friend gave the man what? As many as he needed. There was no limitation to the friend's supply. However big the need, the friend's resources were more than adequate to meet it. And that's the kind of God we serve. Oh, I love it. Our God is big enough. You cannot stump Him with anything. He's big enough for anything that we could ever come to Him with. And more, bigger, even more than anything we could ever come. And last of all, I want to concentrate and emphasize that the provision is for everyone. That's what Jesus said. Everyone who asks receives. Now, you might think that's self-evident. You're like, oh, pastor, what's the big deal? But I emphasize that because there are people in this room right now who don't think this applies to them. They hear this, and within themselves they say, that's not for me. You see, some of you feel like you're too big of a sinner for God to hear you. For you to even have a right to come and talk to God because you've messed up too bad. Some of you feel like what you've done is so bad you can't be forgiven and therefore this does not apply to you. Maybe you've been involved in drugs and alcohol and promiscuity. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you're stealing from your employer or cheating on your spouse. Or maybe you have a secret addiction. And so you say, everybody but me. Everybody except me. But that's not what Jesus said here. I want you to know, if you will persist, remember the Bible used that word, persistence, shameless boldness, if you will persist, if you will keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, you will be rewarded. God will do something in your life to turn whatever that mess is around. You will be rewarded. Your need will be supplied. Listen to this. Another statement out of that chapter. I, I love this. There is in genuine faith a buoyancy, a steadfastness of principle, a fixedness of purpose that neither time nor toil can weaken. You see, when you and I have that kind of faith with God, this kind of genuine faith, dear friends, it rises above the obstacles. It rises above the doubts. It rises above the darkness. It breaks free of the bonds and, and, and the shame and the no, it can't happen for you. It breaks through all of that and it presses through and lays hold upon the throne of God Almighty for the help that it needs. Now we come to verses 11 through 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, 
will he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the who? Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You see, the big idea here is that God is anxious to give us the best gifts. Oh, He's so anxious to give us the best gifts. Jesus draws a beautiful comparison to our, our, with, with our human desire to do good things for our kids and then helps us understand that God is infinitely more good and generous than that. Now, he does this, first of all, by reminding us, something we may not want to really come to grips with or be reminded of, but he reminds us, first of all, that even evil humans honor requests with good things. Now, you know, we kind of like to think of ourselves as good, don't we, folks? I mean, you know, we, we want to. But, and, and I understand that a little bit, but, but the truth is, in our families... We are selfish, we lose our tempers, we are dishonest, we hurt each other, we're not good people. And yet, in spite of that fact, we still, broken as we are, we know how to give good gifts to our children. We delight to make our children happy. We want the best for them. Often, we make great sacrifices, don't we as parents? We go through personal heartache to care for them and give them the best so that they can be happy. Even though we're kind of evil and kind of broken and kind of messed up, we still do that. And then Jesus takes that thought that you, you being evil, you can still do good, good and wonderful, awesome things for your kids. He takes that thought and he takes it from earth and he just launches it out into orbit beyond the stratosphere because he says, as good as we are to our children, in spite of being evil, now you come to a perfect God with whom is no evil at all. And you come to this God and He is infinitely more generous than we are. Infinitely more generous than us. He is unfathomably more loving and generous and solicitous and quick to give us only the best. You see, that's the game-changing picture of approaching God in prayer that Jesus wants us to get. That's what he wanted the people of his day to know. And that's what he wants every one of us here today at Richardson and who's ever tuning in online and streaming. That's what he wants us all to know. This is how you approach God. In using the picture of a child asking his parents for something, Jesus also wants us to be assured that we are to approach, sorry, that we are to approach God as trusting children. You see, he doesn't want us approaching God like a boss or a landlord or an employer or a general in the army. He wants us to realize there's a tenderness and a welcome 
and a safety in our relationship with Him. And that's how we can approach Him with simple, confident trust that He's going to take care of us just like your little child comes to you as a parent. Listen to this. He, Jesus, gives us the privilege of calling the infinite God our Father. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because I understand that we live in a broken world. And unfortunately, sometimes us dads do not live up to the best that that word means. You understand me? Some of us have dads that were not there for us. Some of us have dads that abandoned us. Some of us have dads that abused us. And so we don't have very good associations with, with that word, Father. It's not the warmest, safest word that we think of. And I understand that. But as we use that word, because Jesus told us that's how we should talk to God. As we use that word, if you can somehow step back from the brokenness of our human experience and the sin that's tarnished it, and you can step back from that and leave that baggage over there, and if you can take this word in, the high, in its highest sense, in, in the best of what it could mean, apply that to God. That's what God wants us to get here. So Jesus gives us the privilege of calling the infinite God our Father. I mean... It's, it's more amazing than being on a first-name basis with the President of the United States. You see what I'm saying? It's Instead of, wow, some powerful being out there, it's like, this is my dad. He's got my back. You know, he, he's the one I can come running to when I bump my knee and skin it and I'm bruised and I'm bleeding or whatever. This is my dad. This is the privilege that God gives us. Now, what I love is the next sentence. Spoken when asking his favor or blessing, it is as what? Music to his ears. Do you know how good it makes God feel when you call him your father? I, I can just picture him. He's got goosebumps, you know, all over his divine essence, whatever, you know. Maybe he doesn't have hair, so there's no goosebumps. I don't know. But that's easy. He's got, you know, shivers running up and down his spine. It just makes it feel so good to hear you call him dad. God regards us as his children. He has redeemed us out of the careless world and has chosen us to become members of the royal family, sons and daughters of the heavenly king. Awesome. Do you know that you're not just so-and-so? You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Your daddy owns it all. Your daddy calls all the shots. And he loves you. And he's got a special place for you. You see... And to be part of God's family, since we're not born into it, that means that he adopted us into it. Now think about this. God has adopted us, and the beautiful thing about adoption is it's not a change in nature. It's not even a change in behavior. You know what it is? It's a change in status by an act of your heavenly Father. 
He chose you, knowing you exactly the way you are with all your brokenness. He chose you and he changed your status. Paul says we are accepted in the beloved. It's awesome stuff. Notice that Jesus doesn't say just that God will give us some good things. He says God will give us the very best thing, which is who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, as we go here in the notes, when we're praying, the Holy Spirit should be our specific request. When we're, we're told that when Jesus left to go back to heaven after his resurrection, he gave us the greatest of all gifts in his place. And what was that greatest of all gifts? Who was it? It was the Holy Spirit. And, and, and dear friends today here, I am convinced that we need to be much more passionate and persistent in our asking God for the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that we're too used to getting things done around here without the presence or power of the Holy Spirit to the point that we don't even realize how much more God could do through this church. I, I want to invite you to to join me somehow in praying more persistently and pointedly for God to grant us the Holy Spirit as we've never experienced Him before. I'm calling us to this as a church. we got to do this together. And, and I don't have all the answers right now, but, but, but this is where we want to go. We want to be people of prayer and, 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 and realizing that the Holy Spirit could do abundantly beyond what we even think or imagine. I feel like we're too comfortable. And Jesus was changing the game. And, and, and so many of you have commented through this series, Pastor, thank you that, that all of you, that you're doing this series. It's, it's, we're thinking more. We have more courage. We have more faith. We, we got more, you know, more inspiration to, to think about new things and, and, and what God could do and, and giving God more freedom. And so I really believe that God is just ready and waiting to do something special here. Now, don't miss this last point. And I really should have talked about this in the very first section because that's where it was. But I saved it for here on purpose because I didn't want you to forget it. Because I know that as soon as the closing prayer happens, we forget the whole sermon. Can't even remember it past those two doors back there. So, but I put it here just in hopes that maybe we could. This is the last point. We are to ask in order to bless others. If you go back to verse 6, you'll find something important when the host goes to ask help from his friend. Look at what it says. So the, you know, the friend showed up at the guy's house, and he goes, and it says in verse 6, For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Notice, he is not asking help for himself right? He's asking what? For the sake of someone else. He's asking help so that he can be a blessing to another person. The highest form of prayer is when we ask not for ourselves, but for someone else. The highest form of prayer is when we ask not to get, but to give. 
The highest form of prayer is when we ask not selfishly, but unselfishly, when self is forgotten and the needs of others and of God's kingdom become our main concern. The highest form of prayer is when we come to the place in our relationship with God that we know God loves us so tenderly as a father loves his children and that he is going to care for no God because he knows our needs before we even know them ourselves. And when we know God as it's our privilege to know Him, we're going to be so confident that He's going to take care of us that we can stop asking for ourselves and we can turn from that and we can start asking for others. Now, I've been thinking a lot about how we can become more of a praying church. I've talked with our, our pastoral staff about it. Um, and I've talked with Curtis Elcock, our prayer ministry leader, about it. And we don't have all the answers, and we're still trying to figure this out. But, but we do want to try to begin putting some things in place that are going to help us be more prayerful as a congregation. And if you have ideas, we would welcome them. Write it down in the blue cards. Shoot us an email. Talk us whatever. Send us a text message. But, but give us your ideas so that we, because we want to be a more prayerful church. And, and particularly, do you know we, we have the privilege here coming up in October, we're going to have a reaping series. And we have the privilege of having the president of the Texas Conference be our speaker for that series. And, and I just, and, and I felt this conviction all along, even before these meetings. But I, I want us to have a real foundation of prayer just bathing everything that we're preparing to do to reach souls for Jesus. And so we hope here in September, we're going to, we're going to look at the calendar, figure out the dates, but we're going to have a week of fasting and prayer. And we want to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. And we're going to ask all our Sabbath school classes to begin spending extra time in, in prayer for family and friends who, who aren't walking with Jesus yet, particularly local ones that we could maybe invite to the meetings and, and it could find Jesus through that. And, and, and we'd love for you to begin taking initiative. You know, some of you live a long way from, from the church. Well, why don't you open your home and have a prayer group in your church there where people can personally come and pray together? There's something powerful about praying together that's better than when we just pray alone. And, and, and if you can't do it personally, maybe you can set up a Zoom conference with people in your area. You know, there's, there's great ways that technology can assist us. But let's become more of a praying church, dear friends. I, I'm dreaming of a day when we as Adventists don't just talk about prayer but we actually become passionate prayers. You know, I shared this with you a couple years ago, but I'm just going to come back to it because on this point, we got to admit, we got to look ourselves in the mirror and honestly say, we as Adventists, we do a lot of talking about prayer, but we aren't so good at really doing it. And you know how I know that? I don't know if you ever heard a guy by the name of George Barna, but he's always doing all these research things on the Christian community. In fact, we call him Bad News Barna. Why? Because he always finds out things that we really don't want to know about ourselves. They're, they're not very complimentary oftentimes. And, and I have this research in my file in my office. But he, he was looking at 12 major denominations in the United States, Adventists being among them. And he was surveying them on how much they attended church and how much, you know, how faithful they were with stewardship and Bible study and, and, and prayer and different things. And when he surveyed all, there was about, I don't know, 12 to 14 uh, that, that were part of this study. 
And, and he said, you know, and he looked at how much do you pray? Do you know where the Adventists ranked on the list of denominations in terms of who prayed the most? We were dead last. We were worse than the Presbyterians. And the Catholics. You know who's on the top of the list? Yeah, the people that we want to point our finger at and say, oh man, they're deceived. They don't have the Holy Spirit. The Pentecostals were at the top of the list. Maybe that's why they have some of the Holy Spirit. I think it's about time we got some more of the Holy Spirit. And it's not going to happen without us praying, folks. And I'm tired of us just talking about it. And I really want us to start doing it. My dream is we pray the windows of heaven open and watch the God things that begin to happen around here. That's why I want so much for all of us to do this together. In some way, I will come to my Heavenly Father as a trusting child and focus more on asking to bless others. Early African converts to Christianity took prayer very seriously. They were very earnest and they were very, very regular in their prayer life and their, and their private devotions. And, and the story is told that because they realized, you know, to wrestle with God in prayer, you, you want a secret place of prayer, they each had a separate spot in, in the thicket where they would go and pour out their hearts to God. And, and over time of them going to that particular spot that each individual had, different spot, they would wear a path. You know, a path would be worn through the grass going to their secret place of prayer. And those paths would become well-worn and they would be clear just down to the dirt. And as a result of that, if one of those believers began to neglect prayer, it soon became apparent to everybody else. And they would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass grows on your path. Is there grass growing on the path to your place of prayer, dear church? Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.